You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud, what women are talking about three times a week. I'm Holly Wainwright. I'm Jessie Stevens. I'm Mia Friedman. And we're back together. Look at us. For the first time in a fortnight. Yes. We've had amazing, amazing fill-in hosts, guest mm. hosts, I should Nerelda say, not Narelda and Fazia. But it is nice to have the gang back together. Before we get started today, Mia Friedman has some very exciting news. Some very exciting news. We are launching M Plus this week, which is Mamma Mia's membership program. It's all about extra closer. Closer to us, extra of us, if we're not extra enough already. <laughs> oh, yeah, I would have thought now, we were quite extra. Holly, I've missed a few meetings. I've been away. She's been away. And also just not concentrating. No. So <laughs> can you just explain to the outlouders how M Plus is going to work? Because it's been almost created with them in mind it has. in many ways. It has. So this is really exciting because in the... 12-year history of Mama Mia, is that what we're saying these days? I think is it's 12 or 13 years, yeah. yeah. Happy birthday, Mia. 12 or 13. Thanks. We have never had a member's model. And people have asked us if we were ever going to do it, and the answer is yes, we are doing it. We're doing it this week. And it's called M+, as Mia said. All the content that you currently consume on Mama Mia and on Mama Mia podcasts is still there. And on the website. Yep, still going to be there, still in your app, still on the website, still in your podcast apps, all the places you get it. But M Plus gives you that little bit extra if you want it. And the way that it works is you become a member on the internet. Mm -hmm. You might be across that, whether it's on your phone or on your desktop. And through your Mama Mia app, you have access to extra content. A private area. Some locked content that is only available to M Plus members. And guess what it is? It is is daily. There will be on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So the days of the week that we do not currently drop. Yes. There will be Mamma Mia Out Loud segments. So there you will hear us in your ears five days a week. We will do dilemmas. Stuff just a bit naughty sometimes because we can do things with our members that maybe we'd be a little bit afraid to do otherwise. So you can jump on. We will be five days a week. There is also going to be a bunch of other podcasts. So there's Book Club, which is hosted by Billy Fitzsimons, and she's going to go through all the biggest books of the last year and dissect them. We know how much Out Louders love that, how much our mummy audience love that. And you can jump in and have conversations. There's going to be a special there is yes. a special chat function. So you can say, I thought that book was stupid. I thought that book was great. Jessie mm. was so wrong when she said that about exactly. that book. Exactly. And... Holly, this is your baby that you have been working on for months and months alongside Eliza Ratliff and Emma Gillespie. What is it? Extraordinary stories. And what's it about? What's the first? You might have, if you follow any of us on the Instagram, you would have seen a lot of buzz about this and Mamma Mia because I genuinely think it's the most amazing show we've ever made. And we've made a lot of shows. Yeah, and we're in a lot of them. (laughs) Yeah. And we still think. (laughs) Oh, we're not in this one. No, we're not in this one. A little bit. It's a tiny bit. Oh, actually, you and I are in it a tiny bit. You and me. Anyway, Extraordinary Stories is the show that takes you inside the stories you thought you knew through the eyes and voices of the women who do. So it's going to be different stories in little seasons. The first one, the one that you would have seen promoted everywhere, is Magazine Queens. Oh, my God. 
Mia and I are dying with excitement about this. It's five episodes that follows four decades and all the drama and gossip and intrigue of the Australian magazine industry and all the celebrities interwoven with that. So the first one's all about Ida Buttrose and Cleo and how she dealt with Kerry Packer. The second one's about Nene King, who's the most infamous tabloid editor of all time and the Princess Diana years and what happens when you've just sent hundreds of thousands of magazines to print with a princess's face on the cover mm. and she dies that night. The third one is all about glossy monthlies and supermodels and the waifs. The fourth one mm. has me in it because it's about tabloids. The Britney Spears years. The Britney years. Spears years. Um, it's fascinating. And the last one is about the end of the era, episode five, and that has me on it. You're going to hear some of the most high-profile magazine editors Australia's ever seen, like Kirsty Clements from Vogue, Paula Joy, Bronwyn McCann, as I say, Nene King, Louisa Hatfield, who's the undisputed queen of weekly tabloids, have all spilled their guts on this show. Mm. It is amazing. And then Extraordinary Story is going to roll into other stories. The second one we're doing is all about Belle Gibson. <gasps> you might remember her as the health influencer who told everyone she had cancer when she didn't. So anyway, how do they get it, I know. Home? I'm getting all excited and blathering now about all the things we've made for M Plus because yeah. I'm really excited. And that's about a tip that. of the iceberg. We can't even it go is. into all the other stuff. You but. also get videos with the You Beauty guys. Inside my wardrobe. Up. You get all these discounts. And Jessie, you want to see inside my wardrobe, don't you? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> no, not at all. You and can block that content, I'm pretty uh, sure. Out louders are going to be super excited that we've also got a recommendations thingy in there that is an updatable widget that has every recommendation that we Ever. give on this show, on New Beauty, on all the shows, and it, with links to buy things and all the stuff. It's so good. Anyway, we are going on a little bit too much. The way that you get M Plus is you go to mamamia.com dot au forward slash m plus you spell out m plus so p l u s m plus not m plus is in a movie with a bit of boobies in it no not that not way that no and you'll find out everything and it actually the whole m plus thing kicks off on wednesday which is the day we are doing a facebook live just the three of us with all the ask me anything questions that you lot have been sending into the so can they page. get it now Today, you can get the first two episodes of Extraordinary Stories. They're available to everyone. To absolutely everybody ever. Because you can have a taste and see if it's your you thing, can. which it will be. From Wednesday, you can log in, become an M Plus member and get extra closer, including all of Extraordinary Stories. And if you go to the Mum Mia Out Loud Facebook group, I'm going to chuck a thing in about our very special Facebook Live on Wednesday night where we're going to do answer all your questions, which mm. we've been compiling, all the behind-the-scenes goss that you guys want. We'll be doing that on Wednesday. So an M Plus goes live on Wednesday. Just to reassure everybody that your Out Loud shows are still here every week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but you can get the extra ones if you sign up for M+. We will, of course, put that link in the show notes, in the Facebook group, in all the places, and we would love it if you want to become an M+, member with us. That is our very exciting news. I think we can get on with the show now. On the show today. One Australian town is asking reality TV producers to leave them the hell alone. Is that sensible? And what has J-Lo's breakup taught us about how women handle heartbreak differently to men? But first... Now, I want to acknowledge that it's a little bit weird, a little bit not normal to watch a funeral live on TV a little bit like you might watch a royal wedding or the Oscars or, you know, some big event... But that's what happened this weekend when the world tuned in to watch the funeral of Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh. 
And it was kind of midnight-ish our time, but I'm sure many Outlouders did watch it or caught up with it on Sunday morning. And now everybody's kind of picking it apart as if it was a big event, which it kind of was. And there are a few themes that we need to talk about today. I wanted to just quickly ask if you remembered this intrigue around the Queen Mother's funeral. Like, I don't remember it. I mean, I remember she died, but I don't remember anyone getting excited about it, like with this wall-to-wall coverage. Well, I remember watching parts of the Queen Mother's funeral because I think my parents were visiting and they're not very – they're quite off with their heads about the royals. But there was – there's something about it's a historical moment, like a a moment in time at which an era is ending and a new one's coming in. Yeah, right. That I think – This one also felt very gossipy because of William and Harry, right? exactly. Quite gossipy. And Andrew. And And I think the big – Big themes that we're talking about us are obviously some of those. Only 30 people were allowed inside the chapel in this COVID era, which meant that there was a very stark priority list for the people who matter in the royal family. Like when you've only got such a tight guest list as everybody here who's had to plan anything during COVID regs knows, it means you can't mess around. I think a lot of people would be struggling with 30. Uh Like given that he had four children... And then their partners mm. and then their grandchildren and their grandchildren's part. Like, it's a lot. Don't I've... forget, this time last year it was 10 in Australia and there are so yeah. many Australians who buried fathers and mothers and siblings yeah. with 10 people. I know. And that's the thing is like, so this kind of mourning, mm. this COVID-restricted mourning is very familiar to us now. And you've got to remember, particularly in Britain, where almost 130,000 people have died from COVID in the last 12 months. This is an experience that is very familiar. Mm. And I think that that is why the enduring image from this funeral will probably be the picture of the Queen sitting all alone in the pews at the chapel, St George's Chapel at Windsor. Do you know why she wanted to sit alone? Well, I think that one of the reasons that she wanted to sit alone was to send that message to the British people, to say, I am you and you are me. Like I know that you've had to do this. And I'm going to do it too. The other reason, and of course the the Queen, there are ways she could have shifted this, but the restrictions are still that you can't be within certain metres of anyone who isn't in your immediate family. So her immediate family would be Philip, who's no longer here. Mm. So, well, yes, but she has a lady-in-waiting who yep. sits in the car with her and she has a lot of – like she could have had people with her if she'd have wanted to have mm, people with her. Absolutely. But she, I think that that is one of the things people admire about the Queen is that she – I think that this was probably an important message that she wanted to send. I read it in a different way. I read it that it was very political, that who does she have sitting next to her? Is it Charles because he's the heir? Is it Andrew because he's her favourite? I think oh, Andrew was the one read sitting like that closest to but her. But she, no. yeah, she wouldn't have been able to do either of that because they're not, mm. you know. But also I don't think it would have been political because it would have just been Charles because he's the boss one. Like there's really mm. interesting watching... For the first thing about the rankings was watching who was walking behind Prince Philip's coffin, which is such a strange tradition that I do want to, in case anybody's confused about that, that's not generally what your average British funeral is like, by the way. That's very much a royal family thing when they have the family like having a procession behind. And it was very telling that in that they had Anne and Charles together immediately behind the coffin and then they had like it went in order of birth. yes it did mm. but how triggering would that have been for William and Harry oh. that's all I could think of is how 
traumatic that would have been for them. Very much. And so everybody was talking about the Queen being alone and about Harry and William. And then there was all of this discussion about whether or not Harry was going to go. And, of course, he did go and he flew in uh, a week before and isolated for several days. So people are saying that the first time he would have seen William, Kate, the rest of the family would have probably been at the funeral. And everybody was saying, are they going to talk? Are they not going to talk? I thought that the Queen put their um, older cousin in between them because there was a real fear that they might punch on. No! That's, that's what I thought. <laughs> losing your mind. No, I but, but like, I remember, that was why. from everything I've read in very reliable places, William was so furious at Harry. I mean, Harry's wife threw William's wife under the bus in that Oprah interview by saying, no, I didn't make her cry. She actually made me cry and all of this stuff, like knowing that Kate couldn't respond. So I, I would don't have thought think there was a chance in hell that Prince Harry and William are going to punch on I in thought front they of television cameras by grandpa's, grandpa's funeral. funeral. No, that's, that's what I was thinking. Maybe later that's at my the dream. wake when everyone's had too many, yeah. you know, royal whiskies. But then what happened was, and this has been much covered, is that Kate was the one who brought them together afterwards, and the three of them walked up the hill back to the Did castle they? together, chatting as a family. Friendly chatting. And I found one of the images that I loved seeing from this, uh, which sounds so terrible, loved seeing from this funeral, is the the picture of the Queen is very poignant, but there's also an image you would have seen around a lot of Kate looking directly out of a car window, wearing her mask and her hat and looking the cameraman right, well, the lens right in the eye. And she just looks in that image so powerful, so in charge. And then to see her bring them together afterwards, it was like, oh, Kate's Kate's boss now. She's Isn't in that charge. What I thought when I saw that is, oh, she's bringing back the under the eye eyeliner again. <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> I'm into it. Look, uh, I, that of image. Of course you are, because that's what you exactly, do with your eyeliner. Exactly. Mm-hmm. She's taking some pointers from me. But. I saw that image of the Queen sitting alone and felt sick with sadness. And I was on this show a week ago going on about colonialism and how one death doesn't matter more than another and I stand by that absolutely. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I felt like a bit of a bitch. I felt like a bitch that I had dismissed valid grief. And what existed in that image was the reality which we all know to be true, which is that wealth and power and status means nothing in the face of death that this woman couldn't be more privileged, but she is sitting there with her head down looking so small and so vulnerable and she has just lost the love of her life. And that was really sad. And the the other reason why I think that image went so viral is because of what it – I think that we're all leaning into grief. We're all still mm. – we've experienced so much grief in the last 12 months. A lot of us haven't been able to express it because of funerals being limited and – 130,000 people in Britain saw themselves in that image, but so did thousands of Australians, hundreds of thousands of Americans saw themselves grieving something. The, The only light often of losing someone is the coming together of a funeral. It is what makes us human. And her sitting there alone... In a mask. In a mask will go down in history as an image that represents the loss of, you know, Philip, but also 
what COVID has done to us. I think that I think that is so true, Jesse. And I also think that what we're being reminded of all the time at the moment is we are living through history. And, and of course, we're always living through history, right? But in COVID times, we are particularly in 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, those the images of this funeral will still be around and people will be like, of course, that was during the mm-hmm. COVID pandemic and who knows what life will be like by then. But it's a real palpable sense of how momentous everything is at the moment. That you can't sit at a funeral and hand your mother a tissue. No. And that was, you know, what existed even in our family a year ago. You couldn't sit there and put your hand over a widow who is crying because of COVID restrictions. And it reminds you as well in terms of Harry and and Will that there is something that unites people in the face of death. It reminds you what's important. It reminds you sometimes you look around and you go, anyone here could could drop dead. None mm-hmm. of this crap matters. None of Oprah doesn't matter and all of that. Yeah, and but, it, so but it does. And I was just watching all the announcements about the funeral and seeing how political funerals can be as well. Like the whole thing with the dress code because Andrew wanted to come dressed in his admiral uniform but he I wasn't d- allowed that's and then not true. Harry and it's like... You just read the lines. This, <laughs> the, the, so the, this, this is really interesting. It, just about it isn't just about Andrew. Is that normally they would have all been wearing their dress yeah. uniforms, right? So it's not that Andrew was like saying, I want to wear my admiral. I mean, he's an idiot. We all know that. But... They all normally would have worn them. The reason they didn't wear them is because Harry wouldn't have been able to wear his because he's ha- he's been stripped of his official military. But so has Andrew because yes. he stepped down from public life. So Andrew said, I'm coming in my uniform, mummy. And she said, Andrew, we've talked about this. You're not allowed because you did a thing with the pedophile guy and you need to just not come in your uniform because you don't have the uniform anymore. And he said, mummy, I want to. And she said, right, no one's wearing yeah, uniforms. No one was allowed to because they didn't want them to look. And they and didn't like want the- also. So they didn't Queen. want Harry to look like he was yeah. on the outer. And it's r- ironic because Harry's the only one who, well, actually not the only one, so did Andrew back in the day, but he's done two live tours of duty mm. in Afghanistan. If yeah. anyone can wear a uniform, it's him. Anyway, it's, it is so interesting, all that politics. But I was very touched to see them talking afterwards, Wills and Harry and Kate. And I think that one of the sad parts of all this, as we've said lots of times, is that those are the only people who understand Harry's world. Like the rest of us watch a funeral like that and all the pomp and ceremony beforehand, which was reduced because of COVID, but still there, the soldiers marching around, Mm. the very particular significance of the way they walk and the way they... Like the only people who get that are the other people in that family. Megan doesn't get it. And Harry must sometimes feel very lonely. Hello, Mamma Mia. We've been talking a lot about the royals, but I just wanted to sort of point out, sort of don't accept the premise that one kid is stuck while the other is in prison, because there's always a choice. And I think that's important when we talk about William getting stuck, is that he does still have the choice. It would take huge bravery, but if Harry can do it, why can't William and why can't we start on the right foot with a monarchy that represents where we are at in history and where we could potentially move forward. A few months ago, Australia's most well-known actors lobbied the government about the fact that our local TV and our film industry was struggling, not just because of COVID, but because some of the global streaming services like Netflix and Amazon 
We're not making any local shows. So local film production, it's not just actors that are employed by local productions. It's everyone from caterers to, Mm. you know, all the other people that do the other things. Then a few weeks ago, Netflix responded to this by hiring a local head of content. And this week they announced their first Australian series. It's called Byron Bays, B-A-E-S. Which is how the young people, it's like another word for babe. Bays, I learned, means before anyone else. I didn't know that. Yeah. But then there's an extra, oh, you say you're bae, yeah, right? Bae, so it's Byron Bays. Bays is plural. Mm. Okay. Anyway, the press <laughs> you've had a you've had a week off and you've lost your touch. But continue. <laughs> the press release uh, this week. The press release last week explained that this show is going to follow some hot Instagrammers living their best lives uh, on camera with lots of fights, flings, and heartbreak. Now, the genre of this show is called a docu-soap, which means, this will give you a clue, the executive producer of Byron Bay's is someone who has also worked on Married at First Sight and The Real Housewives. So it's not going to be a Richard Attenborough-style documentary. (laughs) David Attenborough? I always get (laughs) confused. (laughs) Anyway, I've been in Byron Bay for the last week. I'm getting to that, which is why I can't speak properly. I'm relaxed. If you, unlike me, have not been to Byron Bay before, it's a coastal town in northern New South Wales. It's near the border of Queensland and it used to be a bit of a hippie town. But in the last, I've been going there for about 25 years and in the last, say, 20 years, it's become very touristy. There's a lot of backpackers and then over COVID, there's been a real influx of people from other cities, from particularly Melbourne and Brisbane and Sydney. A lot of people have moved up there and can now work from home or work from this beautiful coastal town. It's also attracted quite a few famous people like Chris Hemsworth and Zac Efron. As I was saying, as Mamma Mia Out Loud's Byron Bay correspondent, I was on the scene last week yeah. when the show was announced and you may have been reading that they're not happy. In no, fact, no. you could say they are cosmically pissed. Mm-hmm. They are so mad. They've started a petition to stop the show from going ahead and a lot of the local businesses, um, probably the best known among them would be Spell, the fashion label. There's there's a place called The General Store. The General Store. And just so everyone knows, yeah. the reason I know that is because that is, of course, where our good friend Zac Efron met his Aussie oh, girlfriend working was... in the cafe. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's this real, if you've gone to Byron Bay, it's this real mix of sort of locals who like to surf and everything with kind of you know, blow-ins really, and I count myself among those. And so it's got really fancy shops and it's got lots of like... It's got rainbow shops and you can buy bongs there as well. Now, the local business owners I would have thought would have been stoked. Like Netflix, hundreds of millions of subscribers around the world, you know, getting lots of publicity for the town, not so much, not so happy. They've got this petition and they have said, we are a community experiencing significant challenges driven by influencer culture and rapidly shifting demographics <laughs> of revenue. I think, I think they speak is. for all of us, really. <laughs> we do not want to be cast as the perfect backdrop and magnet for social media influencers. We do not want to appear in Byron Bays. Ooh. And they said that it would make Byron into a punchline and – they said that they've got real challenges in their communities like housing affordability and coastal erosion and Mm. increasing unemployment, traffic management challenges. They do. (laughs) Traffic in Byron is shocking. It's true. You can never get a booking. No. (laughs) Look, I am actually totally on the side of the business owners here. I completely understand where they're coming from. To me, it is weird 
that they weren't consulted? They don't own the place. They don't own the place. The question is really who owns Byron Bay? I mean, the answer is obvious. The answer is the traditional owners. But in this particular context, who actually gets to decide who gets to come with their film crew and film in Byron Bay? Is it the businesses? Is it the community? Is it the locals? It's a really hard question to answer. As a tourist, Byron Bay is probably my favourite place to visit in Australia. I love it. And everyone who goes there is like, oh, there's a few too many people here. As a tourist who goes there there. during peak every year and goes to all the places at the same time everyone else wants to go. Me too. But I completely get it. I always think about, did you guys watch the movie The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio? I did, I did One yes. of my favourite movies. And there was a beach called Maya Beach in that, which was a very isolated remote beach that no one visited. After that movie, it became one of the most visited beaches in Thailand. I went there. I don't want to talk about it, but I went there. I've been there too. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I think I, was, I think I was in Byron Bay when you guys were there. You would the go. the only place that I go you is Byron. would go if you're in Thailand. Anyway, you go, you take a photo, you're like, I'm Leonardo DiCaprio. And then not me and Holly, but others leave their water bottles there. Yeah. It was absolutely destroyed by tourism to such an extent they've now closed it down because it got completely destroyed. And tourism is such a difficult seesaw because mm. you need their monies, but you also don't want the tourists coming and destroying your town. And so I understand... What's the difference between destroying and injecting money into the economy so that they can do things like, you know... Fix the beach fix falling down. The beach and traffic I think it's about management. numbers. So Byron, and this is what the business owners and the council and a lot of people are coming out and saying, we're at capacity. We actually are not asking for any more exposure. The last uh, thing that Byron uh, Bay needs I is... did more- a lot of shopping and that's not what the business owners are saying. Like what business is like, no... We've made enough money. We do well, not want anyone else coming and spending their Spell money. Spell and Arnhem Clothing and a number of brilliant, I believe, lady startup brands are coming out and saying, we don't want to be the backdrop to this also because it's bad for their brand. I it cheapens them. I yeah. think it's more about that. I, I think, think it's there's a bit of snobbishness here because it's interesting. I mean, I've been in Australia for 25 years, which is a long time. And I remember my one of my first really good friends, she, the, her family had always gone on holiday for, to Byron. And I remember the first time I went there, she said, it's not what it used to be. People and that was 25 been, years yeah, ago, that's right? That's true. So, and now it's really not what it used to be because it is the place that all the influencers have gone to. Remember that famous Vanity Fair article about the mum the influencers because it is yeah. so beautiful there. And a lot also, of wellness people are up there. Yeah, very much. Pete Evans yes. could be argued started this ruinous trend. It's also one of the anti-vax capitals mm. of it Australia. Is. And it's interesting because... I think that also what's happened in COVID is that all the fancy people and the cool people who normally would go overseas genuinely consider Byron Bay to be the only place cool enough for them to go on holiday to in all of Australia. So they're like, it's busier than it's ever been. And I think there's a certain snobbery here around, yes, we want the tourist dollars, but isn't there something a bit cheesy about reality TV stars? Look, I think it's two things. I think it's that, that it's, remember when they did The Shire? The same thing happened Mm -hmm. when they did that reality show called The Shire. Based in Cronulla. Based in Cronulla. And the council, there were protests. They said, we don't want to be tarnished. It's going to make a a mockery of our suburb. And if you're old enough to remember that show, Sylvania Waters, That was sort of one of the first reality shows about a a sort of a suburban family that lived in that particular suburb, also in Sydney. With Byron Bay, there are some real problems. So um, the businesses, obviously, there are a lot of opportunities and a lot more businesses have come up. 
Others have closed because they can't afford the rents. Mm. And a lot of people who've lived there for decades are having to leave because they can't afford rent because all the the more well-off people have moved in. and Who can now work remotely if yep. they're from Sydney City. And suddenly mm. the people who've lived there their whole lives or for have brought up families there or whatever, they have to leave because they've been forced out by rents. So I, I do get both sides. Yeah. I really do. And I think it speaks to a theme in Australia as old as time, which is the outsider in a country or coastal town. Yes. Australians are very territorial. If you Even places like Newcastle or whatever, you go there and there's kind of like, you're on my turf oh, and yeah. this is what Newcastle is about. This is how we operate. They have this real love-hate relationship with, with tourism and it's a theme that you see in every book you read that someone comes in and it's like, oh, you're not welcome. Just quietly, I really, really want to watch this show. Same. What's up, Instagram people? Uh, here I am in Australia, Byron Bay. It's a beautiful, beautiful morning, and, uh, and we're on. If you've been scrolling through Instagram lately, you might have noticed that Jennifer Lopez, the singer and actress, is mid relaunch. She is always launching. She is in a constant state, state of launching. Launch. She is. I don't think you, she's ever not been. We've talked well. She's launching in a very new way, which we've talked about on this show before. It's a term coined by a friend of mine, and it's about after a breakup, you'll see a woman very clearly relaunching on social media. And often, maybe she's in a bikini, maybe she's had her hair done, maybe she has a fringe. It's a way of sending a press release to the world that says, yes, I'm single, contact me, which JLo is very much doing. Do you think? Yes. She's saying DMs are open, I'm here, I'm ready. Yeah. A week or so ago, following the news that her and Alex Rodriguez had called off their engagement, J-Lo uploaded a picture of her looking incredible, hair and makeup done, smiling, waving out of a car window, and she is daring Rodriguez to like that photo. Rodriguez, on the other hand, he shed one photo since their split, and it's a wholesome picture with his kids, which is cute, but not as... I'm going to use the word thirsty. It's not as thirsty because J-Lo knows what she's doing. And the internet is trawling through what each of them is liking and posting and doing, and I need to discuss it. Do we reckon that, generally speaking, women are better at breakups than men? Stop it. Because firstly, I would say that a relaunch for a man is, here's me with my kids. I'm such a single dad catch. Like when Jason and I split up, him being a single dad was an aphrodisiac. Me being a single mum, not so much. But the funny thing that he posted, that's what he posted on his feed, but what he posted in his stories was this extraordinary kind of panning across a mantelpiece of photos of him with um, J-Lo and them and the kids and then a picture that was up on his screen of a beach with, you know, A-Rod and J-Lo in a love heart (laughs) and the water was about to come and wash it away. (gasps) And the soundtrack was Coldplay. (laughs) That's the song. Well, this speaks to my broader theory, which I actually wrote about this in my book, which is that I reckon women are way better at dealing with breakups than men. And this is because we have more of a script. We know what to do. We expect this form of grief, but also we have different forms of intimacy around us. So whether that's friendships, even more being more physically affectionate with our friends than men are. And so we can go out and get drinks with our girlfriends. It's an imperfect ritual, but it is a ritual. Whereas men 
often jump straight back into another relationship, often with someone they don't like. I've been on the receiving end of this. And they jump Mm. into that relationship because they need the companionship and because they kind of need to talk at someone and, like, have someone to lay in bed with. It's not even sexual all the time. It's just, like, they need some form of companionship. Often it is. Whereas women aren't as desperate. And my rule has always been that whereas a woman can probably get over, say, a short-termish breakup, in a, in a month or two months because they cry a lot and they deal with it. Men take three times as long. I reckon that they mourn a lot slower because they don't lean into it in the same way as women do. It's also because often, and I, these are all massive generalisations, yep. but oftentimes in a heterosexual breakup, like the woman had been thinking about this for a long time. You know what I mean? Like if you think about J-Lo and A-Rod, and obviously I don't live with them, but I know a lot about them. Yes. Because of course. Like A-Rod allegedly is a dirty, dirty cheater. And he always has been no matter what. And recently there were stories that he was dating this actress called Madison LaCroix who's on something called Southern Charm. She, The statement she gave about that, by the way, is very ambiguous. He's never physically cheated on his fiancée with me, she said. What does that mean to you? <laughs> anyway, so J-Lo's probably been thinking for a very long time, one more chance, dickhead. And then it's over. Whereas he has had that kind of blindsiding mm. that men get sometimes with like, I can't believe she actually did it. Anyway, massive generalizations. I would like to extend the idea that women are better at breakups to say that I think women are better at being single. Full stop. Now, I heard I'm Dolly sure Alderton this. saying this on um, Sentimental Garbage, that podcast we've been listening to recently. And I believe it hard. Again, massive generalizations. But. If you take the biological clock issue out of it, which is a big thing, right? But let's let's pretend that the kids are not part of this issue. Generally speaking, women are much better at being single than men are because they have better support networks around them. They have better friendship groups. They have many other places to get their validation, their intimacy, their entertainment. Also, again, massive generalization, but heterosexual relationships are often pretty shitty for women. They have to do all the work, both the physical and the mental work of it all. So being single is freedom. Being single is being able to live the life that you want to lead, not tied back down by an A-rod, for example. So I reckon that it's not such sad news for J-Lo as it is for A-Rod. It's funny you say that because all of my girlfriends in their 40s who are single are actively trying to stay single. Yes. And they're struggling because these guys keep wanting to have relationships with them. They're all divorced and they've got kids, but they've got, I've got a career, I've got my kids, Mm. I've got my girlfriends, I've got my vibrator. I don't actually... Like it's nice to have you but I don't want to like live with you. I'm not looking. And I think you're right, Hole, because kids aren't in the equation for Mm. those women. They've already done that. So they've got no biological clock ticking. They don't need a man for that. So they're just like, "Mm." Exactly. It's like if I fall madly in love and I can't live without you, then happy days. But if that's not what happens, why would I mess up this great thing I've got going on? And I think that a lot of the time – for the reasons that you just spelled out, Jesse, about men who they end up and in in that podcast I was listening to, Dolly Alderton calls it the girlfriend muscle, where men are like they only know how to be in a certain kind of relationship with women, and 
they don't get their intimacy from other places necessarily, so they end up mm. falling back into it. Which is why you can feel quite love-bombed when you start seeing a guy and he starts behaving like he's your boyfriend overnight and you're going, he must really like me. But it's because that's the only way they know to be with a woman. So you're just it? a receptacle yes. for their need for intimacy. Yes, and a replacement to the person they probably still love or who might have rejected them, but they need a certain level of intimacy and closeness that they're kind of using you for, I suppose. I have a recommendation today. It is Oscars week. I know you don't care about this, Jessie, but Mm -mm. I'm excited to know that when it's the Oscars, which is one week away, they're actually having a proper Oscars. They're going to do red carpet. Really? They're going to do dresses. Do they have to wear masks? I imagine they have to wear masks to the thing. Isn't that going to seem absurd? I don't mean the masks. I mean... Like the idea of a red carpet just in this, well, COVID times. I think people might be ready. I think people might be ready for a bit of razzle and dazzle. But anyway, I used to be really into the Oscars. I used to make sure I'd seen all the movies. This year I looked at the list. I'm like, oops, (laughs) promising young woman. Yes, that's the one we've seen. Right. But I watched another um, Oscar-nominated movie this weekend and it was absolutely brilliant. What's it called? So it's called The Sound of Metal. Now, you would not like it, Mia, because it's quite depressing. Mm. And generally I don't love depressing movies, but it is so good I I can't even tell you. So the lead star of it is a man called Riz Ahmed and he's a British actor and he is Heaven. I remember him from an episode of Girls in one of the latest yes. seasons where he teaches her Lena Dunham's character how to surf. Yes. I'm going to yeah. look him up. He is heaven. He's a British Pakistani actor who is also a rapper, also a music producer, also all these things. He is so brilliant. Anyway, in this, he and his girlfriend Lou are in a band. They're like the two of them are in a band and they live in this really cool Airstream RV and they travel around and they're like living this, like the music they play is like screamy, music but one day he wakes up and quite suddenly he loses his hearing he goes deaf Mm. and the sound design on this movie is so amazing the way it takes you in and out of his hearing journey and he's also a recovering addict so she takes him to this kind of commune place full of of non-hearing people and he has to like learn how to be deaf it is so interesting it is so interesting he is desperate to get cochlear implants get back on the road get back with his girlfriend get his life back the community of deaf people that he's joined and is living with um don't see deafness as anything to be fixed yeah so they're very positive positive about deafness. He learns sign language. He does. It's just, and then he goes and tries and get, puts his life back together and it just doesn't go as well as you thought, as you might imagine. And your journey in and out of the hearing world is fascinating too as the viewer. I just genuinely, I, I watched it at home on Amazon Prime, but it is in some movie theatres too, like limited release. And it's one of those films that I was like, hmm, okay, I'll watch it. It's nominated for an Oscar. It was one of the most interesting films that made me think about Lots of different things. Oh, that sounds amazing. I've never listened to that. It is such a good movie. It's called The Sound of Metal. It is Oscar nominated and so is Riz Ahmed. He is the first ever Muslim man to be nominated for an Oscar. So there you go. That is all we have time for on Mamma Mia Out Loud today. I have a feeling that was quite a lot of time, but I'm sure (laughs) that it was all well spent. Thank you for listening to this episode. It was produced by Emma Gillespie and Emmeline Peterson. We'll see you on Mamma Mia. Do not forget to check out M+. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. 
we pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. 